can't relate to the people that don't do whatever it takes, but like we do whatever it takes to develop all the training, the coaching, the learning, the education. And it could be why we've been able to grow so fast, but I feel bad for anyone at a company that would have not do that. Like as a CEO and a salesperson, I couldn't imagine like being in an environment. I, to be honest, when I sold for IBM and resource, like this is how they were. It was nothing. I'm giving you nothing. You're here. Go make millions of dollars in sales. And I hated that. So I think I've been in the bad and the good, and that's why I built everything that we built. Friends, welcome to the Sales Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. That was Brandon Bornanson. He's the CEO at Seamless.ai. And today we have a wide-ranging conversation about some of the most pressing challenges facing sellers coming up in 2021 and beyond. We talk about which of the changes we've seen in the past 12 months will become permanent and what impacts these changes will have on the skills that sellers will need in order to perform at higher levels. We also explore the whole notion of modern selling. As I mean, is it actually modern? Or are B2B sales stuck in the past in some very fundamental ways? And Brandon and I also dive into one of my favorite topics, is how to improve individual sales productivity. So lots of great practical takeaways today. Before we get to Brandon, I want to remind you to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to it. And if you subscribe, we'd certainly appreciate it if you could also give us your feedback about how we're doing in the form of a review. So thank you. All right, let's jump into it. Brandon, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Andy. Appreciate it. Big fan. Well, thank you. Well, we've never had a chance to meet before. It's sort of surprising. I guess uh, maybe if all the conferences hadn't shut down the last year and a half, we might have been able to do that. I know. It is a little odd, but uh, hey, glad we're connected. You know, that's the great part about LinkedIn, man. You, you can meet anyone, anywhere, anytime now. Yeah. Well, increasingly so, right? I, mean, I remember I was telling somebody when I started this podcast five years ago, or a little over five, almost five and a half years ago now. Um, wow. And I'd ask the guests, yeah, well, tell people how they can get in touch with you. So everybody defaulted to email first. And, but that's, that's, that's the way it was then, right? Yeah. And now it's, it's, um, yeah, LinkedIn. No one, no one gives an email. No, so, no. I, you, you, can, I don't, you can give an email. <laughs> I don't, I barely check my email now. I don't have time to check my email. So it's, uh, yeah, it's good. Yeah. My LinkedIn inboxes. Yeah, busier than my email at this point. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, they're both similar. It's crazy. All right. So for people who aren't familiar with Seamless.ai, tell us what you do. Sweet. So uh, yeah, again, thanks for having me. Uh, Seamless finds direct dials and emails for any professional in the world in seconds. Uh, I was selling for big and small companies throughout my career. You know, we were spending millions of dollars on paid databases. Mm -hmm. And I felt that... I could never find the, the damn people that I needed to connect with. Uh, so when I was selling for IBM and Google, you know, just reached out to a lot of engineers in my network and we built a search engine. Uh, Sergey Brin and his wife invested and we, mm-hmm. we built Seamless.ai to, to find anyone in the world. And then using uh, an artificial intelligence engine, we, we research everyone's direct dials. And I used it to become a millionaire in sales. Uh, mm-hmm. And then realized my life was forever changed. And I'm like, Hey, I want to help everyone. I want everyone to win the seven figure club award. 
which uh, means you've generated a million dollars in sales using what we built. And that's that's yeah. So that's a, a contest you run through your your website. Yeah, yeah. It's really I don't know if it's a contest, but more of, of like a, well, a lifetime competition of sort. Yeah, yeah, an achievement. Well, tell us about it. So how's it work? Oh yeah, so uh, we give out this like thousand dollar award for the six figure club, the seven figure club, and the eight figure club. So six figure club means you've generated over hundred thousand dollars in sales using mm-hmm. you know seamless and the strategies and, and the the platform, and then we in ship a specific out, period of time or just uh, yeah yeah in, in, in a year in a year, okay. and then the seven figure club means you've generated over a million dollars in sales in a year. And then the eight-figure club is you've generated over $10 million in sales. And then my most coveted award, which I I haven't, I don't know who's won it or if someone's won it, but they've generated over $100 million in sales. I've got one client that did like $80 um, that I can track. So it's all- An individual or a company? No, that's a team. That's that's a team. All right. As an individual, that'd be pretty impressive. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, that'd be pretty epic. <laughs> in a year. year. It's hard to do I, in a year. I, I had one year of bookings over 100. Yeah. So. I, I did it in total. Um, I I never did the 100 mil in a year. But, yeah, it's, it's awesome. Yeah. Well, I was selling big, complex communications networks. It was... It was not to say it was easier, but uh, it wasn't software. <laughs> so yeah. that, that part maybe was something a little bit different. So what was the impetus to go out on your own, though? I mean, was it just, hey, this is something that's working so great, I need to make sure the world sees it? Or Yeah, uh, a few things. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm a serial salesperson, entrepreneur, and, and gambler, I like to say, because uh, you know, been, been building companies since I was 18. First company I did was for the gambling industry. And, Which is what? Uh, come again? What did you do? Oh, so I launched it, an affiliate marketing software platform for party poker, full tilt poker, poker stars. And <laughs> that did about $12 million in sales over the course of three years. Wow. And um, made a ton of money. Um, but then, you know, I was super young, 18, 19, 20. So then they, they made online gambling illegal and I launched a mm. second company, I thought text message marketing was going to be the future. And uh, I was wrong. This was when there were flip phones. So I invested right. about $3 million, three years of my life. And it's funny, the partners 10 years ago when we did in mobile are now my partners now with Seamless. So, you know, we learned that we didn't know how to do B2B sales. And we learned, right. you know, you should listen to really smart people when you get advice. Right. And, uh, you need the list to sell your software to the list. And, and then I quit entrepreneurship and then, um, you know, just selling for, for B2B corporate. I just always had the pain points of, man, it's so painful to find everyone you need to sell to, build the list, get the emails, get the phone numbers, you name it. And all the, all the sales databases were just terrible. Um, <clears throat> so I kind of- At least you had some. Yeah, exactly. No, or I mean, and we spent millions of dollars on these sales databases. Yeah. It was awesome, but they, I would sp- still spend 80% of my time prospecting, researching who the hell to sell to. That drove me nuts. And then I built Seamless as my own secret weapon. And um, so being an entrepreneur and a salesperson, right when I 
I hit these different pillars. It was like, okay, mm-hmm. I'm ready to do the entrepreneur thing for a third time and knew that this was a, a massive, being the first case study, I knew, I knew anyone could do it if, if they had it. So mm-hmm. kind of went all in and, you know, it's, a, it's been a hell of a journey now with, I don't know, helping 150,000 salespeople, marketers, and entrepreneurs, uh, thousands of people win the, the President's Club Awards, you know, our six, seven, eight-figure club awards, and uh, just, just want to positively impact a billion people. Yeah. So how many people won those awards, you said? So from what we can track, a few thousand. Mm-hmm. Uh, what we can't track, it's, it's probably in the, you know, five to 10,000. You know, it's, it's hard because the way that we, you have to self-report it. So like yeah. it was automatically reported. I bet you we, we, we'd see a, a shitload. So uh, either way, though, changing the lives well, of thousands of people. I think that's a good goal is to set up a system where you can track all that. Yeah, 100%. I mean, yeah. we're, it's all attributable. If you research someone at a company and that closes a deal, boom, you, you know the number. So that's... Yeah, because um, I mean, yeah, for me, part of the, the vision there is you know, we got to get to the point where we have a way to evaluate a seller that's verifiable, right? Mm-hmm. That if you're interviewing somebody and they said, look, I sold yeah, $2 million last year at this company and so on, mm. we need to have a system that says, yeah, we can track that. We can, we can show that that's true. So it's people just aren't. I like that. Smoke. That's smart. Because I think that the, I think the ultimate goal should be is how do we develop like a credit score for an individual seller? This is a score they take with them that normalizes the variables across various industries and types of products and says, look, this person has a, a, a 680 score, and we know a 680 is good. It's interesting. And even though they come from different industries and they've sold different types of products, and then if you're hiring somebody, you don't have to say, well, you know, I posted this a few weeks ago on LinkedIn and got huge response about, you know, everybody says, oh, we want to hire you, but you need SaaS experience. Like, Right, you don't need SaaS experience, Everything. but this would be a way to, to sort of take people and have an understanding that, yeah, I understand the context. We've, like I said, we've normalized the variables, we've leveled one out, and if somebody's got a certain score, I'd hire them. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I mean, you could have a high score and you you cannot know how to pitch or close it. it you, like I I would say that's interesting. Um, I look. Like we, we, we test for positivity, coachability, you know, doing doing whatever it takes, like a score Mm. sometimes can't, it can't calculate that. Like, you know, but if you could, yeah, well, if you could, that'd be awesome. You know, like there's different things you could do. Right. But uh, it'd be interesting. What that's sort of the, the shortfall in sales hiring, right. Is, is it's still not driven by data very much. It's still, to your point, right? If somebody coachable, that's still a, a feeling you have, that whether mm-hmm. they're coachable. Yeah, you can sort of give them, you know, do two rounds of interviews, you know, or in the interview, have them do something, coach them, have them come back, do it yep. again, presentation, yeah, yeah. whatever. But, yeah, it's still, it's a subjective judgment. Yeah, 100%. Right? You so how do we get, how do we inject, you know, more objectivity into this process. That's why this idea that I love about the the sales credit score is to eliminate some of that. So 
you have a, an easier time hiring and it's less fraught with risk as it is now. Mm. Yeah. No, a, um, it'd be interesting. You know, it, the, I think the tricky part is, is like, how would you judge someone that's in high transaction software sales? Let's just say they close a ton of business, they crush their quota, right? But if, right. But then maybe someone that's in highly personalized, low volume enterprise sales, they may judge that person is too aggressive or whatever. And then the other way around, you could judge the enterprise person for high transaction as not being able to overcome sales objections if their life depended on it. So, it, you know, I think cross industry would be inter- like, it'd be interesting. Yeah. Well, I think it's, I'm throwing it out to people as a challenge because I think this is, this is one of the next frontiers, if you will. Mm. I mean, think about it. So I imagine you've hired a bunch of people during the pandemic, right? People yep. that you've never met, you've never met personally, right? Uh, virtually we've met, but yeah, we've yeah, hired about a hundred people. In person, you've never met, you've never done the traditional. So, and I asked this question of a lot of sales leaders is so, okay, you've hired a bunch of people. Mm-hmm. Did you factor into that their ability to work remotely and independently? Uh, yeah, for sure. But a lot of people haven't, right? They sort of gone through the same hiring process as if they were hiring somebody that could be part of on a sales floor in a location. And it's like, well, okay, but it's a different situation we're entering now. I remember when I was totally different building offices out in Europe, and this was you know, ages ago, and it was like, yeah, we had to hire people specifically who we thought had this capability of being self-sufficient, being independent, being, uh, well, yeah, self-sufficient. And it's funny, I, I talk to sales leaders now that it's like, well, do you screen for that? Well, no, because they may have this assumption that we're all going to come back and be working in one place again or whatever. And it's like, hey, this is critical. Not everybody can do that. Yeah. Now, I remember when all the venture capitalists, we pitched shit, 347 VCs, 297 said no. And the majority of them said no because we were remote, because uh, you know we weren't in Silicon Valley, you name it, just all this bullshit stuff. And now right. it's funny looking back, it's like, like we were all remote, like from the onset of building our company, we figured out the distributed workforce. It's about the people. You find the game changers. You find the people that do whatever it takes, somehow judge and score that, right? Bring them yeah. on board, validate it. And then you could, you could do anything. You do whatever right. it takes. You know, again, why, why I put in the book. Let's pitch the book, yes. Oh, I know. And, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. That's fine. That's um, part of the reason you're here. Oh, say it again. So that's part of the reason we're talking. Yeah, no, it's okay I, to, I, I book. Yeah, no, um, I wrote this because so many people were struggling with COVID and the pandemic and took all the habits from building a company during the financial crisis that was successful and that failed to two different companies, right? During mm-hmm. the mortgage crisis. And then I just knew just from being an entrepreneur, being a, a serial salesperson, like, Everyone's going to underestimate the amount of shit that we're all going to go through during the pandemic, mm-hmm. how we have to do 300, 500% more activity than what we had to do before to make the same pay, produce the same results, you name it. Like just the mindset, the habits that everyone needs to survive and thrive. And in 22 days, March, when they shut down the, uh, when they shut down Ohio, where I'm at right now, just wrote every morning for two hours. Like, what are all the habits that, 
I've developed, I've taught myself, my team, everyone I know, people I mentor, you name it. And uh, it's, 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 I don't know, thousands, tens of thousands of copies have sold and it's Good. awesome. So, so well, congratulations. So what is the number one habit? Got to do whatever it takes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, number one habit, whatever it takes. So, so let's dive in. Like, what does that mean? Yeah. Break it, break it down. It means like, okay. So, so my day yesterday, and I didn't want to do any of this shit, but my, my day yesterday is like, Hey, I got to go on a two hour uh, customer coaching call to all of our customers. Cause we host these mm-hmm. like once or twice a week. Uh, then I was on a two hour webinar presentation. Then I was on an hour podcast and I was on an hour investor call. Then I was on two hours of standups across each department of the company. Like I don't want to do any of those things at any given point in time, right. but you just got to do whatever it takes to be successful to serve your mission, to, to help whatever you're trying to achieve, right. To help the people that you're trying mm-hmm. to achieve and impact. I think doing whatever it takes is, is just, whether it's calling, emailing, social selling, list building, studying, learning, reading, whatever it takes to go from where you're at today to where you need to go tomorrow to be successful, you got to do it. And, and I think too many people, we're in a society of excuses. I'd love to hear your take on this, Andy, but like, the whole world's telling you to do less, to, to go easy, to be comfortable, to not push the boundaries, to not go all out, to not go all in. It will be okay. And like, you know, I fundamentally just, just challenge that because anything great that I've seen anyone accomplish has put so much work effort, so much tenacity, output, activity, <clears throat> insane amount of work ethic, goals. To, to accomplish what they've accomplished, become the millionaires, the billionaires, the top 1% salespeople, you name it. And uh, that's what it takes. Yeah, well, the fact is that uh, I, I agree. I mean, I I've wrote about that in my first book is, is uh, you know, addressing this idea that salespeople are reluctant to prospect. And I was like, well, it'd be an ideal world. It'd be great if you didn't have to. Yeah, but if, if you don't have yourself, a pipe, right? you got you to go do what it takes, right? It's it's just I agree with you. Is is I don't know if the I don't know if the ethos has changed. I just I think some of it has with our specialized sales roles. In some cases, people have gotten sort of spoiled with you know, hey, somebody's setting up meetings and appointments for me and so on. Yeah, but if they're not, what are you going to do about it? I mean, I've I've told the story on the show many times about running the senior guy who. People thought very highly of and and uh, ran to him at a conference and he was at a new gig and he says, you won't believe it. They want me to prospect. <laughs> <laughs> and oh I'm like, oh, dude, that's a problem for you. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm in of a different generation than you and coming up through entrepreneurial start working for startups where, yeah, my business was overseas mostly and Wow. We had no directories. I was prospect. I'd pick up the phone and cold call into Deutsche Telekom, and people didn't speak English and try to find the right person. You, tough. you did. You did what it took, right? Yeah. What it um, takes. So I think that yeah, I'm all in with you on that. It's yeah. Too often I think we're wanting people to hand us things. If you're a seller, hand me training, hand me knowledge, hand me acumen, and these are all things that, as an individual contributor, you have to invest in yourself to develop. Yeah, 1,000%. Invest in the technology, the training, the skills. Don't wait for your employer to do it. 
Like, well, they're not. They're not going to give it to you. You know, your, so. your your biggest asset is yourself and your ability to improve. You know, if you don't improve every day or every week, every day, I like to say every day. Like one of the habits is you have to improve. Work to improve one percent every day minimum. Yeah, me too. I have the same same thing. Just my, the, <laughs> the aggregation of marginal gains, they call it. One hundred percent. Yeah, just keep trying to get a little bit better. And one of the easiest ways to do that for sellers, and that sort of escapes them, is to have more conversations with buyers, ask better questions, and really listen to understand. Get away from the script. Make sure you don't leave a call until you really understand, confirm you understand exactly what the buyer, their concern is, the particular problem, you know, whatever aspect of it is you're dealing with, because that's how you learn. Mm-hmm. It's not going to come from training from the company. I right. mean, I... I ask people all the time. I'll ask you. So who taught you how to sell? Shit. At the beginning? Whatever. I mean, throughout your career. I will. I mean, my, my dad sold for CA and it was, it was the first company Mm -hmm. to do a billion dollars in software sales. And and they took that public. So for me, I got to learn from my dad. Um, But then my professional career at the beginning, no one. So I, like when I wrote this book, sales secrets, and we got to interview you for the, your top sales secret, Andy. Oh, um, sure. Love to. You, I've learned from reading all the book, sales books. So I invested like a decade studying and reading all the sales books to look mm-hmm. for the secrets, but it took me hundreds of books, 10 years. And over time I just kept on improving uh, and then I would invest in my own training, mastermind, coaching, you name it. And, right. and that it was a multiplier effect. You just keep getting better and better and you keep increasing your your income and your revenue results to an insane amount, you know, multiplier. Yeah. I mean, I I certainly did all that. I read as many things. I, <laughs> there weren't as many sales books at that time, but there were still some. But I mean, some of the classics, Zig Ziglar and yeah. Earl Nightingale and, and people like that. But I found I learned really from my customers. Yeah, my first job out of college, I saw in computer systems that at the time that cost yeah, sixty thousand to two hundred fifty thousand. So right. yeah, a million dollar plus these days. And for accounting applications, so I saw in the construction company, a lot of construction companies at the time. This is up in Oakland in the Bay Area. Wow. And just sat listen to entrepreneurs tell me about their business, right? I was dealing with the CEOs and the business owners and that was, they taught me how to sell them, right? They taught me what was important in their business, the things they were looking for. And if you ask the questions, just paid attention. Yeah, I, I always tell people, I learned mostly from my customers. I had a couple key mentors in there as well. Yeah, I but, think that's smart. I, I, we had a big coaching call this morning and it's like, to, to your point about discovery, when someone throws something out at you, question, objection, Q&A, whatever, like, Keep digging. If you don't get it or don't understand, like keep dig, keep asking more and more questions to understand. Mm-hmm. Don't leave that call like, oh well, now I don't know what, where we're going with this. Exactly. And unfortunately, I think that too often now in the way that we train sellers is, yeah, you know, not to lean on this cliche too much. They're a little bit too scripted. They're too anxious to get to the next question. And this value of understanding is lost on many of them. Yeah. You got to be curious. 
Well, you're curious, but you have to understand, right? It's not enough to ask a question if you don't take the time to really understand the answer. And yeah, I've coached people on this. One of the simple things coach people do is just pause before you respond, right? Take a beat, one Mississippi or whatever way you want to count it and give yourself time to think before mm-hmm. you respond. You can be very excited and you want to say, yeah, 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 I've got, oh, I've got this nailed, I've got the answer. Just take a breath. Think yeah. about it, gather your thoughts. That's Maybe why I love the mute button. Like, Go ahead, explain that. Oh, well, the, what I like being on calls, I love the mute button. And uh, like the power of just muting yourself and taking notes, intently listening, mm-hmm. laser focused on the needs, the wants, the desires, the biggest pains of your prospects. Like, dude, the mute button's one of the most powerful buttons that you could press. And then I also think the record button is also one of the most powerful buttons you could press for watching game film. And do you do that frequently? Yeah, we, we try to record, analyze and learn and optimize everything, you know, from everything in sales and then shit, even outside of sales. I I think we produce like, I, I don't know one to four hours of content a day. So like we're, we're real time recording everything in sales and outside of sales to just keep learning, keep improving all the top athletes. They all do that. And we just follow it. So to that point, do you record job interviews? Uh, Yes, we do. It depends on what line, like depends on the line that you're on. Right. Yeah. I would say, some HR, like some, some people don't have auto like Zoom recording. Mm-hmm. Uh, my, my line's always auto recorded. So right. uh, I record them every interview I'm on. Do I analyze the interview after? Yeah. I haven't analyzed an interview after actually. What about you? Uh, yeah, I don't do a lot of hiring these days. I haven't for a number of years, so pre-Zoom. So but I, I urge people to, mm. I mean, it's like everything. It's like, if you don't get feedback, how do you get better at it? Yeah. It's a good question. And you know, sales interviewing typically is pretty horrible and not very modern these days. There's lots of modern ways to interview that people aren't, aren't using. Well, yeah, why do you say it's terrible? Because for most companies, they don't try to take a data-based approach. To, to hiring. I mean, simple things is, you know, obviously some companies are doing scorecards, right? We've got, hey, yeah. here are six criteria that are key. We're going to score something from one to five. That's a, that's a simple way to do it. And then say, look, for somebody to qualify to be hired, they have to have a certain minimum score, right? Mm-hmm. And then they track that, see the people with certain scores, how they performed. And then they go back and perhaps revamp their hiring criteria. Right. Well, that's just a really simple way to do it. But Super subjective too, right? Like, Yeah, who goes back and says, look, we're going to analyze how these hires did based on objective criteria that we were able to surface during the, the interview process. Yeah, Because if you don't do that, you know, there's been some studies that show that, shit, just hire off the resume. Don't even interview them. And mm. you're, you'll be just as predictive of success as actually talking to someone. Interesting. You know what we do? We, we have them pitch us. Mm-hmm. So Pitch themselves? No, I have them pitch us, our company, to us. Oh, okay. All right. 
So we literally will say like, do your research. You're, you're pitching Mm -hmm. us. I'm the VP of Now I don't do the sales interviewing anymore. Now that we're up to, you know, 80 people in the sales division, I've got a VP of inside sales and a VP of sales that do that. But, you know, we have the A's pitch us, um, Mm -hmm. second interview. We have the SDRs literally prospect live with us in the interview. Good. Here's the like scripts, it. go. And right. you could learn a lot about people. How, are they scared of the phone? Are they scared of prospecting? Right. How do right. they do with objections? Uh, the pitch, like you can really understand critical thinking, strategy, prep, you name mm-hmm. it. And the, the way that different people act and engage. Like that, that was probably the biggest game changer for us when it came to hiring. To start doing that. To do that. Now, yeah. It's very difficult to understand, can someone close? Like closing big multi-million dollar deals, $100,000 deals, $10,000 deals, $5,000 deals, like closing and objection handling on the A front, I think is a, a critical skill that you have to have. And testing for that, you could do role-playing and objection handling and whatnot. I think sure. you look at historical performance plus, you know, practice, like, doing it live with them. Well, so let me ask a question, because this is sort of a, a point with me, is um, if you had to say somebody's a closer or the closing skills, mm-hmm. what is that? So, and I'll, 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 let me tell you why I ask, because I don't want to seem like a, a gotcha question or something, but is, yeah, I, in my career, personally probably closed two-thirds of a billion dollars in orders. It's awesome. I was never in the room, never in the room when they made the decision. So it wasn't like I was doing a close, right? So I think too often people take this idea of a closer, somebody who's, you know, I'm here. We're not leaving this room till you sign the agreement, um, which in complex B2B is just not the case, right? Right. So, so in your mind, what, what are those skills that you, you call as closing skills? Yeah. Deep sales discovery, right? Really mm-hmm. digging hard and deep to understand what, what, who are the key decision makers? What are the biggest problems? What are the biggest pain points, the biggest desires? What's the transformation and results that you need to sell uh, like that the company's trying to solve for, right? And, mm-hmm. and hopefully your solution yep. can overcome. How are those decisions made? Um, who makes those decisions? How, what, where, what would kill those decisions? Uh, timeline, you know, authority, budget, need, all of these things are like digging deep on sales discovery on the, on the front of it, Yep. being able to present your solution to take them from where they're at today to where they want to go tomorrow, biggest pains and biggest desires. Mm-hmm. And then understanding and digging deep at the end of that type of pitch presentation or multi-pitch discussion, what would hold the deal back? What are the questions? What are the concerns? And like, if they're not giving them to you, really pushing the prospect to uncover like what is holding them back, if anything, from mm-hmm. moving forward with what you th- this problem solution, this program, right. product, whatever it is that you put together, it's it's hard to do, right? Like the top salespeople in the world do it, and uh, I it's hard to test for. In an interview. Yeah, because everybody does it differently. 
Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, I don't think there's a, personally, I don't think there's a, a single model that applies to, to everyone. But I think, yeah, I think you summed it up well. I mean, that this is a part that, again, part of what drives me nuts is people think about closing as a specific action as opposed to a process, right? That yeah. That is really just part of being a, a top seller. Uh, I think it's like solving the problem, but then yeah. like really understanding what would stop you and the prospect from working together to solve the problem. And I think a lot of people are scared to ask the tough questions or really uncover the things that would kill the opportunity or slow down the opportunity. Or, or make it accelerate. See, I, yeah. I, I've always, beyond a certain point of experience in my career, is, is uncovered this fact that at least the, for me is that all those things you said apply, but I found is that in every instance, certainly in complex sales, there's always one thing that's more important than all the others. And what I found is the top sellers were really better at uncovering that one thing. Because there's one thing that somebody in a position of authority or power cares about more than everything else. And if you can orient what you're doing, your pitch, your solutions, options, all everything to that, to solve that problem, your odds of winning go up substantially. Even if you hundred percent agree. Even if you, even if you, I mean, I'll give you an example. We had bidding on this one deal in Asia. And they were wanting to be one of the first uh, cruise lines to have broadband internet connections. Wow. This was a little bit ago, and then voice over IP in the staterooms and so on. And as it turned out, yeah, you know, we got an RFP that had like a, a three hundred line item compliance matrix that we had to fill out. <laughs> yep, I remember working on those. Yeah. And I, and I told the, the seller on the deal, I said, look, these are not all equally important. You know, you haven't found the one thing yet. Mm. And so he goes back and he had developed a good relationship with the, the CEO of this, this cruise line. And it, he said, yeah, found the one thing. Only thing he cares about is, he, he, yeah, the broadband internet, that's great. You know, voice RP from the staterooms, fantastic. What he cares about, though, is minute by minute update on the take from the onboard casinos. So what we did is completely restructured the proposal. We ignore, didn't ignore, but we didn't emphasize. Was that like a profit center for them? Why did he care so much about that? Yeah, you think? And so that was all the profit. Mm. So, yeah, we wow. doubled down on the, the reliability of that link to make sure it never went down. You know, hot back up everything, didn't matter where at sea they were and so on. And that we focused the entire proposal just on that. We led with that. And that would have been buried right in the RFP. And if we hadn't dug deep, we hadn't asked, we hadn't uncovered that one thing, we wouldn't have won. So I yeah. think that, yeah, that's what top sellers, in addition to the things you mentioned, this really good as there is always one thing. Yeah. And if you uncover it, that's the, that's the key to the door. Yeah, I, I agree for us. Like, you know, you just saying that I'm thinking about, Hey, my one thing and shit, I talk about it every day of the week maybe even every hour at the company is just our MRR and ARR growth. Mm-hmm. You know, like we're, we're hyperscaling to a nine figure business and I'm mm-hmm. obsessed with MRR and ARR growth. So you come to me with a solution. I'll, I'll give you an example of a solution that, that sure. this didn't happen. No disrespect to them, but you know, these, these companies were trying to sell uh, conversation intelligence, right? Where they record mm-hmm. your calls. Mm-hmm. And then they coach you or whatever. 
Yeah, we we saw one of those. Yeah, no, totally. And and this isn't this isn't ring, this isn't Andy's solution, by the way. Yeah. Uh, but they just kept tying it to like, oh, you'll be able to coach up the reps, and you'll be able to do this, you'll be able to transcribe, and all the all the stuff, right? All the bullshit right. I don't care about. Right. If they were like, hey, Brandon, we're gonna take seamless from multi, like multiple eight figures to hitting the nine figure number in X timeline, mm-hmm. and this is why. Instant sale. They right. kept coming back, all of them, like all these different parties, to just pitching, they were, presenting the bullshit. They were pitching a product, not a solution. Yeah. Like my one thing, MRR, error growth. And granted, right. I watched, I've literally got seven screens here. I'm yeah, watching, I saw, I saw I'm a video. all these dashboards. So I watched a number of KPIs, but there's one that I care the most about, and that would be that. Yeah. I got screen envy after I saw a little video clip of you with all your screens. It's like, yeah, I've only got two. I, what's, I'm <laughs> a, what's wrong? Actually, I've got three. I've got my iPad down here. It's got all my questions on the iPad. So, yeah, yeah, I'm a piker. I got three more to go. So, I'll work on it. So, um, trying to think. Time we have left. What so many things I want to ask. So let let's dig into this. So. Has sales technology helped sellers become more productive? Yeah, 100%. I mean. So how do you define productivity? Sales velocity, increase in sales results is what I would say. I, I would like, has sales technology helped us to generate more sales than we could without it, right? Um, when you've got a platform like Seamless where you've got reps spending half a day or, or 75% of their day every day, building lists, looking for people to sell to, how to contact them, right? You know, okay, now we can automate it in seconds. Mm-hmm. When you've got calling technology that will allow you to take that list, you know, you, you leverage a, a ring DNA or something like that, and boom, you can connect with every single person faster than ever before versus manually dialing or recording, you know, email technology, the LinkedIn messaging technology. Um, I would say, yeah, it definitely accelerates sales, right? If, if you look at the, the GDP and, and just the growth of the economy, right, as technology scaled, definitely has. Well, well but that's, that's an interesting point because, you know, the you – know, and I bring this up for a reason because, you know, Paul Krugman wrote, I think it was back in the fall, you know, Nobel Prize winning economist, saying that basically productivity growth has slumped basically since the turn of the century. Mm. That we got our investments out of it was it basically boils down to the things that were transformed from a technology standpoint for productive personal productivity were the PC, email, and broadband. And since then, yeah, the economy productivity growth in the economy has basically been flat fairly much. So, and I presume sales isn't immune from that. But I just I just wonder. I asked the question because. I feel like we don't use the technology appropriately. And yeah, my sense is from talking to a lot of companies is that I define productivity as revenue per hour of sales time generated. Yeah, very similar. And on, right? that, and on that basis, yeah, I don't see anything that's convinced me that it's gotten better yeah. over the last 20 years. I think it would, it depends on probably the industry, the company. Uh, a number of different facets, right? Uh, 
But yeah, I, I don't know. Like I couldn't imagine selling 10 years ago versus now. I couldn't imagine like 10 years from now, I'll be like, I can't believe we sold the way that we did 10 years ago now. So, well, but let me ask you a question though. Mm-hmm. So this is, this, <laughs> it's sort of leading from one point to another. So you can't imagine selling the way we did yep. you know, 10 years ago, imagine 40 years ago. Um, but it's interesting, you know, when I obviously read a lot about sales process and talk to a lot of people about sales process. So when I yeah. have people lay out the steps of their sales process, and I go, oh, yeah, same sales process we used 40 years ago. Steps are all the same. Mm-hmm. We've automated some of them, but the steps are all the same. Yep. It's like, hmm, we have this whole thing going around about, you know, modern sales. And it's like, yeah, it doesn't really seem too modern, right? We put the veneer of technology on it, but it seems like we haven't crossed the chasm to say, look, how do we use this technology to help people be more effective in front of the prospect so that for every hour of sales time they have, they're actually generating more revenue? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's where you've got all all of this amazing sales automation technology, right? Like that's why we built Seamless to automate all of the, everything pre-appointment when it comes to the data. You know, the the emailing, you know, you've got, I, what I also think is all the data on people and companies. I mean, there's so much data about people and companies now where you can be hyper relevant and personalized to the niche with your pitch. That would be very difficult to do without LinkedIn, Google, you name it. Um, So I would say, yeah, the technology is out there and it's, it's making the, it's it's making everything smarter, better, faster. But I, I guess it, it depends on who you talk yeah. to. Yeah. Well, I think it can. And this is I I'm think optimistic. This is really, well, you, clearly, and I am too. I just think I feel like we're stuck. Mm. Why, why why do you think we're stuck? Yeah, because I look at just look at various data points, right? Is is yeah, you know, CSO insights, yeah, you know, it's Relatively minor percentage of sellers making quota year over year, mm-hmm. um, you know, 50% or less. We've got uh, win rates in SaaS that are down, you know, the most qualified opportunities down below 20% or 20%. Um, you know, we've got just these, these indicators saying we're not, we're not getting better at the selling part. We're getting fantastic at top of the funnel. <laughs> and, you know, we're using the technology to great effect there. But once it actually gets into what I call selling – I don't consider that selling. Once we get into the actual selling motions, like the meeting and post demo and post discovery, meeting. qualification, yeah. needs analysis, you know, all of our things, we haven't gotten any better at that. Hmm. It seems like we should be able to. And you're talking about, hey, meeting preparation, that's one element of it that, that's hugely important because yeah, reps don't prepare sufficiently. Um, yeah, they're not learning enough. They're not engaged in sort of the self development you talked about. And there's all these things that are, yeah, are part of the, the puzzle. But we haven't been found a way to really put it together. And yeah, that's why I feel like we're stuck. You know, we're using these antiquated processes that we've automated. And and we're still seller-focused in the way we approach the customer. It's about our process, not their process. Um, you know, sales managers aren't trained how to manage, not trained how to coach. You know, we've got all these huge gaps that present opportunities, but we don't don't seem to have the will to close them. Yeah. I, I think it depends on the company. You know, we wrote 
15 books, recorded over hundreds of hours of training material for everything from discovery to pitching to closing to objection handling, Q&A to cold emailing, social selling, list building, picking a niche, script writing. So like we do, I can't relate to the people that don't do whatever it takes, but like we do whatever it takes to develop all the training, the coaching, the learning, the education. And it could be why we've been able to grow so fast, but I feel bad for anyone at a company that where, where they're not doing that. Unfortunately, it's most of them. <laughs> yeah. Why, why do you think that is like as a CEO and a salesperson, I yeah. can imagine like being in an environment and I've been, I, to be honest, when I sold for IBM and a resource, like this is how they were. It was nothing. I'm giving you nothing. You're here. Go make millions of dollars in sales. And I hated that. So I think right. I've been in the bad and the good. And that's why I built, Everything that we well, built. Yeah, it's probably, uh, I'm similar. I mean, it's, yeah, I had eight weeks of training my first year on the job in 1977 and <laughs> nothing since. So everything was on me. Yeah. Um, and I think that's, we touched on it earlier. I think that's sort of unfortunate that companies are willing to do sort of the minimum to try to equip and enable their salespeople mm-hmm. and uh, especially their sales managers. I mean, that's, that's, you know, to me is the shame, right? Is, is yeah. here's this resource that could be so influential in the lives of sellers. And we do, we are talking as an industry and profession, we do so little to develop them. And, you know, how many sales managers get trained on how to be an effective coach? Mm-hmm. How many sales managers are coached in being an effective coach? Yeah. Uh, why aren't we having specialized coaches yeah, why doesn't a sales team invest in, let's have a coach who's just an expert on objection handling or who's expert in qualification or putting together business cases? Um, why does they have to be a manager? Why can't we have this layer of coaches? So uh, there's lots of things we could do that just yeah, people aren't thinking about because it's like, yeah, we'll just sort of make our usual investment. Let's keep our SG&A below a certain percentage. And we did our, we did our bit. It's yeah, that's like buying a bunch of Ferraris, keeping them in the garage, and never fueling them up to hit the streets. Like that, to salespeople are, you know, are the are the game changers, the pioneers, the people making it exactly to survive and thrive. And I do whatever it takes to make sure that they've got everything that they could possibly need to keep expanding and growing companies die because they don't have sales, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I agree with you that all companies should go all in on making sure that every part of the funnel, like the salespeople are always trained every day, every day you should be training daily standards, daily coaching sessions. If you could do daily call review, that'd be huge. Like, so much stuff. Sure. But even you go beyond that is, is you know, instead of you know, bringing in, you know, an outside sales trainer, you're going to spend a bunch of money on and spend half a day and then people go away and forget it is, you know, give your people stipends, right? Make it part of their development plan. Make it part of their compensation plan is look, we're going to give you a stipend for using outside training resources that we've vetted, right? And here's a list of 20 of them. Go do it, and we're gonna hold you accountable for taking them. Yeah, I love that. Doing it every day, hundred percent. And 
Yeah. That's all another conversation. I think another one we can have is, you know, I think we should tie compensation to people's rate of improvement. Mm, that would be awesome. I mean, you kind of probably do, right? Because sure. eventually, these- if you stay stagnant, you're going to be gone. Because yep. everyone, you hope, is constantly improving and getting better. Not hope. Yeah. Like If they don't, yeah. I mean, as, as a basic metric, right? I, I tell people is you have to you have to change the, your rate. Personal rate of change has to at least meet the rate of change of the world around you. Yeah, and it's not. Then you're making the decision to fall behind. Yeah, eventually you will get left behind for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I just don't let people that aren't improving or obsessed with improvement around me, our circle, our company, because it. Uh, that will eventually negatively hold me back yep. and the people around us. So it's like, if you're not obsessed with improvement, optimization, learning, training, yep. coaching, improving, man, I don't want, I don't want you in my network, let alone my company. <laughs> I love the attitude. Love it. All right. Well, Brandon, we've run out of time, but uh, it's been great. Yeah. Yeah. I dude, You brought, some really interesting things to the conversation today that I haven't really gotten a lot of time to think about recently. So I appreciate that. Andy. Well, think about it. Come back. We'll talk about them some more. Yeah, that was awesome. The, the credit score thing for salespeople is interesting. I'm just trying to figure out statistically how you'd make it like unbiased and applicable across any industry. Right. That's, that's the tricky part. All right. We'll figure that part out. So if people want to contact you, Oh, LinkedIn. LinkedIn. Hit me up on LinkedIn. Um, also, I've, I've got a daily newsletter at Seamless.ai. Join Seamless for free. You'll get my daily script strategies, secrets that I post there, as well as uh, you, you'll be able to find emails and direct dials for anyone in the world in seconds for free. So check it out and uh, look forward to Perfect. hearing from you. All right, Brandon. Thank you so much. Andy, thanks so much for having me on the show today. Appreciate you. Congrats. Okay, friends, that's it for this episode. First of all, I want to thank you for thanking, taking the time to listen. As always, we're so grateful for your support of the show. And I want to thank my guest, Brandon Bernanson, for sharing his insights with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement with Andy Paul, on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you could also leave us a rating or a review and let us know how we're doing, we'd appreciate it. And you can do all that on your phone less than a minute as soon as this episode is over. So thank you for your help. And as always, thank you so much for investing your time with me today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. <laughs>